Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. Hey kids, we have a very special show for you this week. We have Annie O'Connor, the founder of the World of Hurt Corporation and the author of the book, World of Hurt, A Guide to Classifying Pain. This is a fantastic interview with lots of information that you're going to want to write down. What, uh, what are you hoping to get out of this? I mean, as much as you're giving me the freedom to speak. Uh, usually I like to have selfish conversations where I just learn. And okay. if, it, if it's helpful for people um, that also get to benefit from it, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So my topic choice always is persistent pain, right? Okay. And, and you know, and there's a lot of or pain. I just kind of say sometimes persistent sim- symptoms, Tim. You know, because pain doesn't it doesn't actually have to be pain. Whether it's a a symptom that prohibits you from living the best life you're supposed to live, right? Right. Or a movement problem. You you're just not moving like you think you should move. You know, I probably have some simple simple thought processes that could help redirect a path. You know, so, so that, you know, that's, and that's a good 36 years of practice, right? You kind of, you know, you you start learning something, then you start serving, you know, and those learning and serving are very different, you know? Yes, ma'am. To me, that sounds like that would be very helpful information for someone. It would. And if, you know, there's, um, there's an analogy, you know, when people are hurting, right, when they're hurting or they're suffering or their life is not what they think it should be or what they expected it to be, right, however we want to frame set that, that situation, uh, we've come to, in our practice in physical therapy or, or the, you know, because that's what I am, is, you know, so I always like to use metaphors and analogies because if you can kind of take them out of that world and conceptualize something in a different world, you may be able to accept something different in your world, right? right. Uh, and so analogies and metaphors are very useful in persistent symptoms and disabilities. So one of the metaphors we like to use just to help people how, you know, how the system works. I think it's fascinating. And you know, I know that because original strength is, is really written off of how the system works. I mean, we're, we're coded to have certain movement behaviors and we're coded to breathe a certain way. And all of those things are inherently, you know, within our brains created. And sometimes we just forget how to use those. They're, they're programs that gotten rusty. Well, why and how our system hurts is a very important system that people don't normally understand they don't understand why they hurt and that there actually is five steps to a pain-free life and a metaphor like um, how your lamp works because your pain alarm system and your electrical system are very similar. Uh, so when we try to help them under, appreciate, you know, how do we get to a pain-free life there's a series of steps we take, um, just like we do when our lamp doesn't work. So we give we give this little picture of um, just an idea of like, hey, when when your when your lamp doesn't work, 
you know, look, go check the bulb, right? That would be right. the first step and everyone gets that, you know, no problem. Or check that little switch. Maybe you forgot, you know, to let the electricity actually flow. Well, in your body, when your body hurts, you know, it's really important to go check the body part and establish whether some type of injury has occurred. You know, if, and, and if there's some type of chemical injury that occurred, well, we need to manage that, you know, until it's in a phase ready to move. And then if it's not a chemical problem, we need to look for, does it need to move in a certain direction? We need to look for, do we just need to get blood and oxygen back to those tissues and start moving and get them stronger and get them more flexible? And so getting people to comprehend, like step one is always looking at the body part, you know, and then if you're doing things, if you're intervening, you're taking steroids and you're doing all these different exercises and you're not really getting better, you know, if you've, you've taken and you're like, Annie, I've tried six different light bulbs and my lamp still doesn't work. I'm flicking that switch. You know, at some point you got to go, well, what's step number two? You know, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't that, you know, and, and step two in your lamp would be, well, go check the cord. Maybe the cord's not plugged in, you know, maybe there's a kink in the cord, you know, maybe the cord's frayed and old and needs to be replaced, you know, well, what's that in the body? Well, maybe you should check the nerve that actually goes to the body part. Maybe that nerve has gotten you know, snagged or it's caught up in its path and there's not enough blood flow getting through that nerve. Or maybe that nerve in itself has gotten tight and it needs to be. And so things are more referred as opposed to something local. So you, you have certain exercises that are very neurodynamic or focused on the nerve, and right? And you you repair the cord and you stretch it out and it looks fine and you've checked the plug and, and you're still hurting or your lamp still doesn't work. You know, well, what would be that third place to go check? Well, that third place to go check would be, wow, maybe the circuit breaker, maybe there's a faulty circuit, you know, and maybe something is in an area where I can't see. I can always see the lamp and see the bulb and see the switch and see the cord. I can always see the nerves and I can always see the body parts, but maybe I need to start thinking about going to the places that are unseen, you know, and what that is in the lamp, it's the circuit breaker, but what is that in the body? It's starting to look at more of how our brain is influencing our symptoms. You know, the brain is a very protective organ. It was designed to protect us and certain centers of the brain can use pain as a way of indicating that we need to make some changes, you know, and one of the changes is how we think about the problem. A lot of times people are very fearful of moving or they don't know if it's safe to move and they're thinking and believing about what's occurring in their life is dangerous and that these signals from their body are indicating harm and maybe their thinking and believing is more um, in a state of dysfunction than the actual tissue hmm. and how protective the brain can be when the thinking and believing is not aligned with what the body's capable of doing. 
And so sometimes it's not about what we do in the body. It's how we provide them a different way of analyzing the safety of what they're doing and returning control to people in the respects of how do you know when I should stop versus pace versus push, you know, and, and that good old fashioned, no pain, no gain, and, and that this is good pain um, or what we call safe pain. And so dealing with that step, you know, step number three, where we sometimes got to flick the switch, you know, because they, they're thinking one way with it and that stinking thinking's getting in into a bit of protecting and it's keeping them from the life they want to leave. You know, and so there are direct interventions that are very effective for when that mechanism is dominating someone's suffering, you know, just as effective it is when your lamp doesn't work and you need to go down there and flick that switch, right? Now, you know, the reality is if, if I'm doing good things for my nerves, I'm doing good things for my thinking and believing and my body, you know, is still hurting, you know, there are there are two other possibilities to why that could be, you know, and again, those two other possibilities are uniquely involving, you know, the brain itself. Um, the brain has three distinct ways it can protect you. It can overprotect you, love you too much. Okay. Or it can do what we see, you know, in, this sense of coping, like when people are going through some serious times, right? You know, I mean, life's at some serious things, whether it's depression, anxiety, whether things of their past are, are kind of bubbling up, you know, and, uh, or they've gone through some significant life trials and even, you know, non-faith-based people probably face a lot of this more than faith-based because we, we have a, you know, we have the ability to really detour that and cast that to our great creator who will actually do something for us about it. Well, people that don't have those kind of beliefs uh, often suffer often from the mechanism where our brain is so sophisticated, it can recognize that we're not coping very well. You know, we're not managing um, the circumstance that's going on in our life currently. Uh, whether that be a divorce, whether that be financial ruin, whether that be social isolation, whether that be a loss of somebody who's very close to us, um, we're, we're slipping into a negative type of life, you know, where we're not living our best life. And so when our brain senses we're not coping, it often will manifest symptoms within our body kind of as a diversion to get our attention to go seek help. Hmm. You know, um, and it's a very cool way that our brain does it. Our brain has the ability. I, I just find this stuff fascinating when you start really understanding it. Our brain has the ability to shut the blood supply off to any tissue in our body. Isn't that cool that God did that? He was like, you know what? I'm going to actually make the brain capable of shutting down blood supply. And when, when the brain actually does shut the blood supply off to maybe your Achilles tendon, or maybe your rotator cuff tendon, or maybe your shoulder joint, or maybe your quadricep muscle, you know, whatever you hold valuable or you hold important in your body, your brain says, you know what? 
I'm going to shut the blood off to that quad. And now signals are going to start firing because that tissue is going to be like, you know, hey, what about some blood down here? You know, I'm alive, thriving tissue. And so once those signals start firing, you know, now pain, the, the brain can sensitize those signals and now they can become painful. And physiologically, that is a very simple explanation of what's sometimes called mind-body disorders or, sociomat or somatic symptoms. But the fact that our brain can recognize we're not coping, go, well, he, she needs to get a little help here. She's not managing this well. You know what? I'll shut the blood supply off to that shoulder because she always worries about that shoulder. And then I'll sensitize those signals and she'll go see that therapist again. That therapist always got her out of that last run amok she went into. And so now I've got symptoms, not so much because my body part's not working. I got symptoms because I'm not coping. And, you know, as a provider like myself, when someone comes to see me and I can't make an argument relative to their movement, why they hurt, but they're under just enormous amounts of stress and they're not doing well or they're not living the life they want, you have to start maybe thinking that, whoa, maybe the brain's causing a power outage in the body, you know, and maybe that's why that, that body part hurts. And that, that is synonymous, just like we know in our lamp, hey, if your lamp doesn't work because your electrical provider decided to have a power outage in your area, you can put 24 bulbs in that air thing. That thing ain't going to work. You can plug, you can flick switches. You got to call the electrical provider and let them know you're a little upset with the fact that you have no electricity. That's cool. Yeah. That is cool because it makes it normal because this is also often misunderstood sometimes as a psychological problem when we're just, you know, we're not coping with the normal emotional social things that happen to human beings, you know, and how sometimes just by acknowledging that I'm not doing as best as I can with what circumstance I'm in can be enough to convince the brain that you're starting to take positive actions. I was just about to ask you, what is the, the path for somebody that their brain decides they're not coping well? And you already know this, especially after reading some of your book again, is you got to acknowledge, you got to acknowledge that this is going on in your life. And you have to accept that how you're managing it right now is not fruitful. And you have to acknowledge and, and say, yeah, right now, man, I'm, I'm a bit angry and I'm just not, I'm not managing that anger well. And once you start connecting that, wow, my symptoms are not trending with my movements. They're trending with these social triggers, like where I'm at or who I'm with, or they're trending with these emotional feelings I'm having you can start saying, okay, how do I start target, targeting my coping to those triggers? And as you become aware of them, 
and you start flipping them from those negative situations into a more positive or you kind of reconcile them a little bit more and you start getting back to doing things that are rewarding to you, your brain sees, okay, cool. That person, she's coping again. She doesn't need these symptoms anymore. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's modern day thinking of this. It's not about, you know, giving people antidepressants and mood stabilizers. It's not about laying them in a room to meditate. And even though meditation and breathing are very important, but if you're not recognizing and acknowledging what's happening to you and reconciling that into a better place, and you're not moving forward and living the life that's rewarding and pleasurable to you, your brain has still purpose to alert you that things aren't going well. It's alerting you that the war within you is the problem. Mm. Yeah, and it's a really cool thing. So modern day pain treatment, especially for persistent symptoms and especially for people that are dealing with those types of situations is to say, let's start looking at your life. Let's not look at your body parts. And, and, and if you have a provider that's still telling somebody, ah, you got a bad rotator cuff, you got a bad disc, you got a bad, you know, everything's bad, right? That may, they, be, they may be missing the mark and helping that person really get to the place where they can be, you know, pain-free. Yeah, and this is a big part of pain. It's just, it's just, you know, you gotta be careful you're not, selling it as a psychological problem because it's normal. I mean, it's working in all of us every day. That's why I think when we start explaining to people how the system works and they realize how normal this is, you know, they start going, you know, this is a problem. I'm saying, I know you know it's a problem. So what are we going to do about it? Right. You know, and we don't have to make it such a stigma like they need a psychologist or things like that. Not to say psychology is unnecessary it it it's necessary when it needs to be necessary but it's not always necessary gotcha yeah and we make a lot of times we make psychology um an abnormal situation i mean it, which it's not you know it's a very normal situation it's just gotten to a point where we're not coping and and so talking out loud with someone or stabilizing the mood a little bit with some pharmacy um, may be a, a good place to start. But if you don't return control to that person and connect the dots on what's happening, they'll feel like they got to see you forever, you know? And that's not what life is about, right? Right. It's about connecting them with them. It's not about connecting them with somebody, you know, Nobody can solve anyone's problems but themselves. And you and I know the great Lord solves those problems. But, you know, when you're not somebody who's deeply entrenched uh, within that faith, you know. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if I finish the story and then you can ask me some questions or have no. some comments, but, you know, it's so fascinating. Sometimes the brain can overthink the signal and overprotect it. 
sometimes the brain can recognize we're not coping and just cause signals within the body by decreasing blood flow to get our attention. Use diversion. And then another really cool element to the brain is that if we are, if we've gone through some serious trauma, like think about an amputee, like who's got a traumatic loss of a limb or you know, or even somebody who's gotten a spinal cord injury, or you don't even have to have an injury. You can just think that this is very badly injured. Our brain has the potential to reorganize the representation of that body part. You can almost re-image it. And when the brain reorganizes the representation of that body part to the point where it forgets it, it can cause different array of symptoms within the body and it can actually shut down the functionality of that body part. So it's a little different than causing no blood flow. It's just basically forgetting it and neglecting it. And by doing that, it's a form of protection, but it also causes an array of symptoms. And one one way to think about it is the concept behind phantom pain, right? If you, you know, you've heard of phantom pain where mm -hmm. you can hurt in a body part that's not even there, you know, and people go, how could that be? And I go, well, it, you know, it's easy because your brain has a representation of every body part. That's just how somebody who's had a severed spinal cord, they always come to me, they're like, how the heck can I be hurting in my body? I cannot move my body. How could I be hurting in my body? And I'm like, well, it's a great question. I go, you have a brain, you know, your brain wasn't traumatized. So your brain has the ability, it carries representation of every body part you have. And so if the brain in some respects is re-imaging that body part is broken or to some degree is forgetting it because of the massive trauma that it underwent it can now produce symptoms in the body. And now again, the treatment's not to the body. The treatment is to the brain. It's doing a series of special exercises that kind of re-image the brain to the body again, almost like a computer. And some of that, which is really cool why I love your book, is recoding the development that we went through as children, because this huh. part of the brain is where we house those motor programs. That's cool. Yeah, so when we're dealing with this mechanism, your approach is really a great approach for someone dominated by that mechanism, because it's very much um, driven off of that normal coding of our normal developmental movement pattern. And so if we can get people to kind of go back to rolling and crawling and, and doing things, their brain gets reminded of how those body parts work together and it starts running those programs and relearning those programs just like a computer. So it really is like a reset then. It's a reset. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about that, like you do, that's the mechanism you're working on within the brain. Wow. To affect the performance in the body. You know, and then what does that mean? What's that in the lamp? And I said, well, in the lamp, isn't it cool that on every pole outside of every home, there's a little box 
And on that box, that's where, as the great provider sends electricity all over the area, those boxes know which home the electricity needs to go to. So when my lamp doesn't work, and I call the provider and I'm like, hey man, you got I got a power outage in my area. And the provider goes, you don't have a power outage in your area. And you're like, well, I changed my light bulbs. I flicked switches. I looked at the outlet. I went down and checked the circuit breakers. What else could it be? That provider will more than likely say, you know what? I'll send a dude out there. He'll climb up the pole. He'll re-image your home to the box again and it'll restart the flow of electricity. Somehow there was a breakdown between that box. They lost the image of your home. And so it's really cool when we think about the electrical systems connection to how our body works, you know, because when we search for people's ability to, to get better, you know, stop the actually treat the problem, not manage the problem. We look what mechanism is dominating and where is the breakdown? Because if we focus our care on that mechanism with the education and the specificity of movement, you know, you can have a full abolishment of symptoms. Now, you can only have that if that person is willing to learn and understand and embrace you know, embrace the approach. And, and unfortunately, at this day and age, there's so many people that have been told so many different things, and then they start doctor Googling everything, and everything's made about some type of ailment in the body, as opposed to really just explaining how cool it is in how our system works, right? And that if we figure out where that breakdown is, just like the lamp, you can have a very profound effect. You don't have to always get a new lamp, you know? Um, so I hope, I hope that was a fun little that was. journey through the pain alarm system. <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> That's the premise of the book. The World of Hurt, A Guide to Classifying Pain was in hopes at getting providers like me and you to look differently at the problem of pain and to look for those mechanisms as a way of reguiding, resetting someone's course in their recovery, you know? And that's when, you know, Sarah brought your name up and I was like, I read this guy's book. I don't know when I did or what I did or somebody threw it at me um, because I'm into, I, I love using developmental sequencing as a part of movement retraining, especially when I'm dealing with that mechanism. Right. Right. Um, I was like, wow, I'm just fascinated with your work and your thought process. And I don't know how you got there, but boy, you got there, you know. Uh, that was a miracle. That was miraculous. <laughs> right. Well, I have the same miracle. But, you know, he, he does that to a lot of us, um, you know, crusaders for for people, right? I mean, <clears throat> but it was cool. It's cool. Nice. So out of the five Step ways, step. five steps... Does it, is it person dependent that like, have you found that one step is the biggest hurdle or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, think, um, I love that question because people often ask me like, Hey, you know, is it, uh, can you have more than one mechanism going on mm. at a time? 
And then I go back to them, well, could your lamp not work for a couple reasons? And they say, yeah. And I said, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the idea though would be to identify the dominating reason because, you know, if you've ever fooled around with dominoes, you know, mm -hmm. you line up the dominoes and you get them all set up and then you push one over and they all go down. How rewarding that is, right? Um, and that's, if you can focus on the dominating situation, the one, that, the one that's really overarching the whole story or sorrow, um, you could have a domino effect. Now, in all good dominoes, too, you could push them over and mm, a bunch of them changed and then boop, one popped up. Right. And if you're not a provider who recognized all the, the things that did change with what you did and then recognized how things stopped and they kind of plateaued and you don't reassess and accept there could be a different reason and adjust that program to meet that reason with the education and the care, you, you might not be able to push the next group over. So, you know, reassessment is, is a service. You know, that's why I tell, I tell people, look, I don't, I don't uh, diagnose. I definitely don't diagnose. I don't treat, I don't treat. I assess until there's nothing left to assess. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's my commitment, you know, as as the co-pilot you know i i you know the the they're the pilot you know they're gonna i'm gonna lay out the flight plans and they're gonna choose which one they own the outcome because it's their life but i'll own the measurement of the outcome because i want them to see that they are doing better or they're or by their choice they're not changing so that they can possibly accept a possible different reason you know so those you know, co-pilot things are very important, you know, but, you know, I'm not going to decide for them or own their outcome or, you know, you know that. I mean, that's, that's a virtually impossible thing to do, right? Yes. Yeah. You can't sell healing. We're, you know, they're going to heal themselves, you know, the good Lord's going to heal them and, you know, and that, so, but you can, you know, you can nurture some of those behaviors and those thought processes by thinking differently. No. Yeah, that's why I was asking that question because I was thinking if there were one of the five steps that could be the hardest, would it be belief? Like what they're, you know, where, where they're at in their mm -hmm. mind or what their beliefs are? It is. And, you know, we, we call it central sensitivity or the circuit breaker is kind of a fun way. You got, they got a, they've got a faulty circuit up there and it's wrapped around what they're thinking and believing. Hmm. And that's, that's a, now how do you, you know, when, you know, and people that are very good at thinking and believing, let's agree, they're very intelligent people and they're very analytical people. Um, and they have incredible willpower. I mean, they're, they're just people that were known to do and, and did. Okay. So, the way to, to help them along or consider changing their thinking and believing, because you can't change someone. You can only make a credible argument that they should probably think about it, right? right. 
you need to meet intelligence with intelligence for one thing. You need to present yourself in a, in an area and help them understand, you know, let them read and absorb and learn. Um, and then you have to give them a new way of analyzing because the way they're analyzing is ending up in a protective response. Okay, so if you can give them a different way of looking at the problem or analyzing the problem, you can generate a possibility that they consider changing their thinking and believing. So yeah, nice job. That is one of the toughest mechanisms to work with because they're usually very intelligent, analytical people. They have sought out several opinions um, they've been told things by intelligent analytical people and they more than likely have seeked knowledge on it. And those can become deeply rooted thinking and believing processes. So if you can have a good alliance that's built on personal, not clinical, and you can present information about how the body works and you can develop a new way of looking at it. So you've been looking at it this way. Let's take a look at it this way. You know, I, I analyze my investments this way. Well, what happens if I analyze them this way? I might make a million dollars over here, you know, like giving them that concept. So why don't you analyze both ways and see if they both come out with the same answer? Because if they do, well then that's a no brainer. You know, if they don't, hmm. If you've been barking up this tree for that long, maybe you should consider this tree. You know, and, and you'll sway them a little bit without, without conflicting, you know. So just try to create a shift, an opportunity for a shift. A shift. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you'll simplify it for me. Thank you. You know. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool stuff. I mean, the, the research that's been done in this area over the last three decades has been just outstanding. It's just, unfortunately, that research doesn't get to clinical practice. And that's why we decided to write the book. We've been doing it for so long in the hospital that we work. I was like, why aren't, why isn't this getting shared with the rest of the world? And that's, you know, that's when it came out in publication 2015. And is, is, is that how you started the World of Hurt Corporation also? Yeah, because it, it's an interesting story. Um, because the, the approach was one that I was training uh, our pr people in our hospital that I still work for, you know, we, we didn't even comprehend bringing it outside of it at the time, right? And then when we were writing the World of Hurt book, which was going to be the third training manual, Someone said, hey, why don't we go to publication with it? So then it got a publisher and whatever. Well, then at that time, um, the hospital gave the rights to the material to the publisher. Exactly. So then at that point, now the publisher is going worldwide with this. And I'm like going, "You, hey, you know, a book is one thing, but you got to train it, you know. And so then I went to the hospital and they're like, you know, we have no desire to do that. And so then I went to the publisher in the hospital and they give, they gave my right, uh, the rights to the co-author and myself to train the material. 
so then it was crazy because the demand for training became fun, you know, and so the world of hurt corporation, which was my private practice all along, just became a, a larger entity than it was, you know, but, but it was wow. cool. It's, it's opened up incredible, you know, there's eight different healthcare systems right now, um, Tim, that are putting this approach within their practice and they're having such grand results and to consult with them on what they're doing and how they're making it better and all the sharing that's going on, I, you know, all glory to the Lord. When he, you know, I, I will, uh, two things that I think we did really well with this book, we really brought forth what was already established. Like instead of creating something new, we said, why aren't we, you know, bringing forth good work, right? And, you know, in the pain mechanism classification system that David Butler and Louis Gifford, you know, these two incredible pain clinicians uh, brought out into the public in the 90s. We just kind of nurtured and studied and trained and, and packaged what they started, right? And then, you know, to have research come off of that. And, and so then the three training manuals and a book to be formed on that, you know, 185 clinicians wrote that book. I, I'm just the mouthpiece, you know, and then it's, and then the book itself, all the proceeds go to feed a memorial fund that exists within the hospital of a clinician that used to practice this and nurtured it. And, uh, you know, and so Mike, the Mike H fund, all the proceeds go to feed that fund, which continue the teaching and research on the methodology. And so it's, I say it when you can step back and see God's work at hand, you know, it's just like, wow. I mean, that is just amazing what he is doing in collaboration around this material right now. That is amazing. And how he's affecting all of these healthcare systems, all these private practice universities. I mean, I, I just sit back and go, wow did he give you he he gave he let you sit over in that seat you know he's the driver and you just got to sit in the front seat you know it's a fun ride though oh it's been an incredible ride i i, I just give glory to him you know that's awesome. my job give glory to him and talk about it you know well, you're doing a good job at it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I know you know that too, because you give a lot of glory to him as well in your work. So, it's, so you mentioned connecting the dots uh, a little bit while ago, but yeah, uh, it's like he's the great dot connector. He is, isn't he? It's just very cool. It is really cool, and and when you can just kind of be at a time in your life where you know, at, in a time in your service, where you can really just pay wow check that out you know like just take take a breath or a step and see what he's just done you know that it's just it, it's a gift you know you can be incred incredibly content you know with uh what's happening regardless of all the stuff that's happening you know um with all the stuff <laughs> yeah i i just go it's all stuff there's been blessings from those stuffs but you know it depends on who you're talking to, who's open to hearing about it. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> so if somebody wants to know more about the world of hurt, where can they go? Where should they go? Well, the website right now is, is really the 
where we're working very hard to house the material. So any courses that are, and the courses are open to everyone. I, you know, people think it's a healthcare thing. I, I say, no, it really, I've had, I've had people show up in a course that they, they are suffering pain. That's why they're there. And I, I think to myself, wow, you know, like, it's just amazing to me. And I love when it's a physician or a nurse or a trainer or a body work specialist, or because we need to have a common language mm -hmm. um, by which we do and how we fit into the service of our, of the people we serve. So the world of hurt, it's um, www world of hurt two number two. Yeah. com is the website that houses all the information about the courses or mentoring opportunities or um, another great place we've got, we've posted over 500 some videos of different educational material for whether yourself or people that you're working with and you want to have them hear it, you know, from somebody. Um, Twitter houses a lot of our, our videos. So at World of Hurt 2 um, is our Twitter handle. And so I tell people those are usually, you know, where you can see a lot of what's going on relative to this material, where we're at, how we're applying it and, uh, and things like that. And then, and then I'm always open to a conversation or an email or, you know, I've, I've been amazed at how the word gets out, right? And I'll get an email from someone helping someone or someone hurting. And, uh, you know, and that that's simply too, it's just, you know, uh, world of hurt two at gmail.com. So, so those are our three ways. Um, you know, and whether it's myself, Annie O'Connor, or Melissa Watson, who's who kind of uh, is the vice president of the company and helps me very much get the word out, um, you'll definitely get a response. You know, awesome. I will put those in the notes of the show. Uh, so if you're listening, they'll be right in the comments section or the notes section. Um, can I um, can I send you that little lamp document? And yeah. A PDF and you can kind of send it out to your peeps. Uh, uh, yes, that would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I'd be my pleasure. You know. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Annie O'Connor. Tim, thank you very much. I hope this is uh, the first of many.